Speak mightily to our hearts this morning. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. May your presence be tangible in this room. May we be able to focus on your word like maybe we've never been able to focus before. Spirit of the living God, illuminate the word that you wrote. And may we be transformed, not just informed. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the year 2000, there was a really uh, good movie that came out. Nicolas Cage and Tia Leone, uh, they were in a movie called The Family Man. And if you've ever watched that, uh, then you know where I'm going. If not, let me just give you the brief synopsis of it, because I believe it opens up where Joshua is going to lead us this morning. In the movie The Family Man, Nicolas Cage was a successful businessman. It opens up with him singing opera and excitement about how wealthy he is, how powerful he is, and he goes into work, and he's the, the man in charge. He's all in control. And we see that there's this man that bumps into him and has this conversation with him. Later we'll find out it was kind of an angelic figure who challenged him to think through what he's doing with his life. He goes to bed that night and he wakes up the next morning and he has a wife and he has kids and he's confused because he was single. He lived a single life. He did what the single man does and he was very confused as to why he had a wife and kids. And his wife was Tia Leone, who was his fiancée earlier on in his life. And he left her so that he could be successful in business. But here we see he made a different choice. And he bumps into the angelic figure again and is like, what did you do to me? And he said, well, I want you to see what a different choice in your life would have made. If you would have chosen Tia Leone, that's, well, that wasn't her name, but that's her real name. If you would have chosen her, this is the life that you would have. And now he's a successful tire salesman. He has a broken down minivan. He doesn't have his Lexus anymore. And he slowly begins to see that this choice of the family would have been the better choice. That he had chosen wrong. When he had left her at the airport and left that relationship together, no power, no money, no control, no prestige could match the beauty of his family. I share that story because when I think of choices, that movie always pops into my mind. Our choices shape our lives. Our choices shape our lives. C.S. Lewis once said this, Every time you make a choice... You are turning the central part of you into something a little bit different than it was. Every choice changes the central part of who we are, for the good or for the bad. And in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at in the life of Joshua, he, he has a conversation with the people of Israel about choice. He recognizes that our choices today have ramifications for our lives tomorrow. Our choices today have ramifications for our lives tomorrow. Often as we walk in our own power, as we walk in the life, of whether it's the Christian life or the secular life, we can end up making the wrong choice. Sometimes we can choose a good thing while we neglect the best thing. Sometimes we can make a choice that is the completely wrong choice and we have to live with that decision for many, many years to come because our choices today have ramifications for our lives tomorrow. 
And as we look at this story in Joshua's life, a man who lived well and ended well, we will ask this question. How can we live and end well as believers? How can we live and end well as believers? And choice is a huge aspect of how we figure that out from this scripture. After Joshua had died, and this ending of Joshua's story was written, the scripture states this, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Joshua's life and his ending give us a picture, a window on how you and I can live and end well. As he was preparing to die and step away as the leader of Israel, he gave a charge to the Israelites that I believe is a charge for you and for me. He gives this aspect of choice for how to live well. And the first choice we see is the choice of consistency. We are, in order to live and end well, consistently serve the Lord faithfully. Consistently serve the Lord faithfully. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15 says this. This is the word of the Lord. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. A choice that he was giving to the Israelites and a choice that he declared he has already made, that he will serve the Lord. Now Joshua was in the time of Moses. The entire exodus in the desert time, Joshua was second in command. He knows the propensity for the people of Israel to walk away from faithful service of the Lord. He knows the Israelites' history of being whiny little babies throughout the desert, constantly complaining about what they didn't have and focusing on the wrong thing and sometimes focusing on the right thing but not the best thing. He's concerned about the future of his people. As a leader who spent many years battling the enemy, leading them into this battle to take the land of promise, as a leader who has walked through the, the silliness, the stupidity, the angering frustration, and the joys of victory with Israel, he's concerned about the Israelites as he considers his life he challenges them with choice. Essentially, he's saying the best path before you is to serve the Lord, yet you can choose to serve Him, yourselves, or other gods. In his challenge, he openly declares, he shares with them very, very, very pointedly that I don't care what you do. I don't care necessarily because I will serve the Lord. Whether you do or not, I'm going to serve the Lord and my family will as well. But the best thing for your life is to serve the Lord. The best thing for you to do is to choose this day to serve the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness because that is what you are called to. That is the best 
way you are to live. Wearsby says this to help us grasp this idea of service. To serve God means to fear Him, obey Him, and worship Him only. It means to love Him and fix your heart upon Him, obeying Him because you want to and not because you have to. Sincerity and faithfulness, those Hebrew words are very loaded in this passage. There is a desire to serve. It's not a duty. It is a desire. And he's saying, friends, you need to choose. But when you choose, do so with passionate desire. Don't fake it. Don't just give lip service. Give true life service to what you are saying. Consider what I'm saying to you, Joshua is declaring to all of Israel. And he's saying, choose to serve the Lord. Desire Him. Worship Him only. Choose Him alone above all things. Abide in Him. Follow my example of resting in the presence of God. And when you do, you will be empowered to make the choice and the desirous choice to follow Him. Howard, a commentator, talks about the word sincerity and he says the word tamim connotes the idea of wholeness, blamelessness, integrity, even perfection. And thus Joshua's exhortation is a passionate one that the people should be totally devoted, blameless in their worship of the Lord. He's saying this isn't lip service. This is life service. He's challenging the Israelites to live with a passionate love for their God, a passionate desire to serve, because we should desire to be devoted servants of the Lord. As believers, that should be our desire. It should be a passionate well within us that spills out a desire to serve Him, not out of duty, but passion. I've shared many times of how, you know, in in marriage, when you fall deeper and deeper in love with your spouse, you begin to just want to serve them. It doesn't become a dutiful thing. You wake up and say, how can I serve my spouse today? How can I love them? How can I just show them and display the love that I have for them? And it doesn't become duty when you have that desire. It becomes a fun and loving act to display that. We should desire devotedness. That choice that we make should be one that we want to make, not one that we feel we have to make. The second choice we see is the choice of continuing. In order to live and end well as believers, we are to continually discard all idols from our hearts. Continually discard all idols from our hearts. If you've studied or followed our sermon series on the life of Moses and on the life of Joshua, you will know that the Israelites had an idol problem. They loved their idols. They consistently went back to idols. As Moses was going on the mountain to receive the law, to receive what God had for the people of Israel, there was an idol problem of worshiping a golden calf. Aaron, who had helped Moses lead the people, heard God's voice, saw God's power, was the one that was presiding over this calf worship. Joshua knew their problem of idol worship. 
These idols stole their attention from the Lord and ended up being a cause of their downfall. Warren Wearsby says, Joshua warned them what would happen if they didn't get rid of their idols. They would eventually forsake the Lord, and then he would have to chasten them. Their great need was to cleanse their hearts of allegiance to other gods and to incline their hearts only to the Lord. Only to the Lord. I declare to you that the American church has an idol problem. We worship all kinds of idols in our lives. There are many things in your life and in my life that tend to take the throne of God and place it with something weak. We like to worship our idols, but we're rarely challenged on what those idols may be. We're rarely challenged to look at those things that take our attention off of Jesus and onto something or someone else. We rarely feel the Spirit's conviction when we bow down to these other idols because we've been doing it so long that we miss the fact that we're no longer focusing on Jesus. We're no longer allowing the Spirit of God to empower us, to lead us, and to guide us. We have an idol problem. And many times, those idols take us away from continually pursuing Him, continually serving Him. Simpson reminds us in the book, The Land of Promise, we cannot compromise with any evil thing and remain in the land of promise. We cannot abide in His love without keeping His commandments. As a church, God has consistently been calling us to abide. As we read through 1 John, John, a pastor who loved the church, had a moment, a pastoral moment with that church and said, if you do nothing else, abide. Because John knew that when they abide in the presence of God, when they spend time listening to the Spirit of God, when they spend time in that land of promise, the inheritance with which God has given to you and to me, where it's not just crossing the Jordan and saying, I'm saved, that's good to go. No, there is a deeper, more passionate relationship with God that you can continue to pursue. But too often we stop right at the waters of salvation and say, I'm going to make my camp here. But God has more. When we dwell in the land of promise, in the very presence of God, we will desire His commandments. We will desire to serve Him with passion, desire to serve Him with faithfulness. In order to do this, we have to rid ourselves of our idols. What in your life has been taking your attention off of Jesus? What in your life has hindered you to serving Him with all that you have? What in your life has caused you to make excuse after excuse after excuse when the Holy Spirit speaks to you about repentance, about confession, about the service that He has for you? Because as we said last week, each and every one of you has a purpose. God has a calling on your life. God wants to use you in the kingdom of God for His glory, for His passion, for His name. What idol is causing you to make an excuse 
to not serve him, to not pursue him. Joshua in this is telling the Israelites and to us, we are to continually discard those idols from our hearts and from our lives. The third choice we see is the choice of constance. In order to live and end well as believers, we are to constantly remember our insufficiency. Constantly remember our insufficiency. Joshua 24, verses 16 through 18 says this, Then the people answered as he challenged them and said, I will serve the Lord, me and my family. They answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. And among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. They were displaying and crying out their insufficiency. He said, serve the Lord, because all these other gods, they want to take your attention. And they said, how can we take our focus off of God with all that he has done for us? The problem with Israel is they had a very, very short memory. They say this now, and they declare this aloud, and they state this moment in their life, and Joshua challenges them. And they say, yeah, yeah, we'll serve the Lord. We'll do that. That's what we want to do. We recognize that we are incapable of living the life and winning the victories that we're called to live. Joshua constantly throughout his time as leader reminded them over and over and over and over again that they were insufficient to do that which God was calling them into, that they were to rely upon him, rely upon his power, rely upon his going before them rather than trying to do things on their own, in their own power. And for a time in Joshua's life and the elders who had followed Joshua, They served the Lord. But when Joshua was gone and the elders that he inspired and encouraged, when they were gone, Israel fell away. They strayed their own way. In Judges 2.11, we see they abandoned God and did as they pleased, serving other gods. Just as Joshua had warned them that when you go after other idols, when you're not consistently pushing those idols away, you will fall away. You will fail. It will be ugly. It will not go well in the land. When we serve idols and worship idols, and we neglect God in our lives, it will not go well in our land. It will not go well in our land. We can bemoan all that's happening in the culture, how Satan is taking control. All these things are happening. And we can sit and we can complain about them behind our keyboards. We can complain about them in small groups. We can complain about them in congregational gatherings. We can whine and whine and whine and whine. And God says, it's your job to change this culture. It's your job. Get off your keyboard, stand up, and do what I've called you to do. Get out of the pew, stand up, go out, and be on mission. 
That's what we're called to do. Israel complained and whined. And God said, just go do what I've called you to do. My friends, this is a message for us as the American church and as Indiana Alliance Church. A message for us. We cannot compromise any evil thing. Simpson states, perhaps the most serious cause of Israel's failure was their inability to understand their own weakness. He continues, the deepest need of our spiritual life is to know our utter helplessness, weakness, and liability to err. Then we shall lean on his stronger arm and in self-distrust abide in him, knowing that apart from him we can do nothing. The answer is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps and walk in this whole thing and say, yeah, I'm resolved to do something. First, you must abide, be empowered by his spirit to go forward and do that which he's called you to do. We cannot go on mission without his presence going before us, without his spirit within us. We must be a people on mission, but we must first abide. When we recognize he's all we need, We'll give him all we have. When we come to the place where we say, Jesus is enough, we'll give him all we have. We'll stop gripping so tightly to the things that we want to hold on to. We'll stop making God a, an, uh, someone who answers to us, someone who will do what we want him to do. As Pastor Mike shared his own conviction, it's been a conviction of my own life. God, let me release my thought of my own abilities and allow you to do your work. Allow you to do your work. This is where we must come. When we recognize he's all we need, we'll give up all we have. The fourth choice we see is the choice of persistence. If we are to live and end well, we are to persistently proclaim our allegiance to the Lord. Persistently proclaim our allegiance to the Lord. Joshua 24, 20 through 22. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord and to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. We are witnesses against ourselves. We have declared we will serve the Lord. But it comes with a persistent aligning of allegiance to the Lord. He warned them again, of the idols that are in their lives, that are in the midst of the land that must be destroyed, must not be worshipped, must be torn down. And he said, you must proclaim your allegiance to the Lord. This is a constant thing that we are to make. Often we declare allegiance to many other things. But first and foremost, our allegiance is to no man, no country, and nothing except him. That is our allegiance. That is who we are consistently to pledge our allegiance to every morning when we wake up. God, I want to be aligned with you. I want to be in allegiance to you. 
I want to be following your direction. My life is about Jesus and Jesus only. That is who we're to serve. That is who we are to worship. Every other aspect of allegiance is secondary to the allegiance of Jesus. What have we been offering our allegiance to and not persistently, constantly aligning our allegiance to him? We are to proclaim it. He alone deserves our constant declaration of service. It's not enough to walk away from our idols. We must walk towards him. Point number eight, our lives display where our true loyalties lie. Our lives are witnesses against us. Our lives are witnesses against us. We may say, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. I want to do what he wants me to do. But what story does your life tell? What story does my life tell? Those are tough questions. These are not easy things to wrestle with. They're convicting, convincing of our need of him. Our lives display where our true loyalties lie. I love Simpson's words. He says, the secret of Joshua's victory was that he had long before this learned to stand alone. This must ever be the secret of steadfastness in the consecrated life. You must know the truth of the Lord for yourself and commit yourself to it and to him, even if you have to stand alone. Even if you are alone in your consistent pursuit of God, even if you are alone in pushing away the idols in your life, even if you are alone in the persistence of your allegiance to God, we must stand. This is what Joshua is saying to them. No matter what you do, he says to the Israelites, that's millions and millions of people as he stands before this crowd, no matter what you choose, my family and I will serve the Lord. He was willing to stand alone to do that which God called him to do. Are we willing to follow him so deeply, so committed that we would stand alone? After Joshua left, we saw in Judges 2.11 that the people of Israel began to walk away because they made their entire walk of faith based off of their leaders and not their own individual life. So as individual believers... This is our call to stand in allegiance to him, to push off the idols that are in our lives. And when we have a collective people in our church, in our community, pushing those things away, it will change the atmosphere, the focus, the passion, and the energy of any church. Are we abiding? Are we pushing those things away in order to walk in him when those who have developed you when they die or fade from your lives will you still proclaim your allegiance to the lord i'm sure there are many members in your life who might have passed that instilled the beauty of god's passion within you 
people who mentored you in the faith, who walked alongside you, and maybe you moved away from them or they passed away, and you found yourself waning because you don't have that constant person in your life. See, God puts those people in our lives to give us training, to mold us and to shape us so that when we go out on our own, we can fly. I've had many people in my own life who have been like that to me, who I've moved away from, who I no longer have a constant engagement with. And I did find myself as a young pastor slipping away from the passion of God because I was no longer under their influence. And God challenged me and pushed me and urged me that it's about my personal connection to Him, not my living off the coattails of someone else's passion. It is a personal and corporate choice. The fifth choice we see is the choice of remembrance. We are to place stones of remembrance in our lives. If we are to live and end well, stones of remembrance in our lives must be placed. Joshua 24, 27 through 28 says this, And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his own inheritance. Stones of remembrance in the book of Joshua were highly important. At the end of his life, this was actually the ninth stone of remembrance that he told the Israelites about. As soon as they crossed the Jordan, they put 12 giant stones on that side to say, God brought us here. Constantly, we see Joshua saying, you need to look back and see what God has done to remind you of what he's doing, to encourage you with faith to go where he's calling. Because our memories are short. The, the beauty of God's work in your life is your testimony, is your story, is what you can stand upon and say, this is what God did in my life. And these stones, they can look differently. You might not have a giant rock that you're going to have a crane put in your yard, and people might look at you kind of funny, and you'd have to weed whack around that thing a lot. <laughs> Maybe it's writing something down. Maybe it's having a journal that you save. Maybe it's an image or a picture that God brings to your mind and you draw it. Or it's a picture that you find and you place on your mantle at home. It can be any of those aspects, but God wants to remind you of what he's done in your life. Do not allow the enemy to cause you to forget your own testimony. Do not allow the enemy to cause you to forget what he's brought you through Build stones of remembrance. He also wanted the people to remember not just what God had done, but he wanted them to remember the promises that God had made. And in this specific passage, he wanted them to remember the promises that they made to God. So that they would look back at that moment and say, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord. And he said, that stone which we placed will never be moved and it will be a witness against you. May it be a witness then, because we will not fail away. We will not walk away. Israel has short memories. They did walk away. They did not remember. And I fear that the American church has done the same thing. We have short memories. 
We saw outpouring of revival at Azusa Street many, many years ago. We saw the Holy Spirit doing incredible, amazing things. We saw miracles and healings during those times. In the 70s at Nyack College, they had a seven-day passionate worship time where no one ate anything. But they spent seven days worshiping the Lord because he had brought revival. Salvations happened all over the place in Nyack, New York. And there are several different pockets throughout history that we've seen the Spirit of God do that. But we have forgotten We have forgotten what the Spirit of God has done. We have forgotten that revival is not about us feeling good. It's about people coming to Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit emblazoning with us a passion to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus, to see the lost found, to see the broken healed. We have forgotten. But we are to put stones of remembrance in our lives. When I was at Nyack College as a student, I went on a retreat, and it was about 2005 or 2006, and it was there I felt that God had whispered into me what my calling as a pastor was to be. And the first word, the only word that came to my mind was the name Joshua. And in that moment, I wrote on one side my name, and on the other side, Joshua. You wonder why I'm so passionate about this story of Joshua? It's because this is who I feel God has called me to be. A leader who calls us to the deeper life. A leader who calls us to spirit-empowered living. A leader who calls us to go out and live for Jesus' name so that people come to Jesus. That's who God has called me to be. And this is a stone of remembrance and has been in my life. I lose small things all the time. I have never lost this. It's a reminder. Howard says, the stone's presence would serve as a testimony to God's faithfulness to his people, just as the 12 stones that Joshua erected on the bank of the Jordan were to serve as testimonies to what had been done at the Jordan. We too can have stones of remembrance. We are to not neglect what God has done. Don't neglect to remember what God has done and what God has said. Maybe early on in your life you have heard the whisper of the Spirit say, this is your call on life. This is where you're to go. This is what you are to do. And you've not yet walked in obedience. Make today the day of your obedience. Write it down. Draw a picture. Put a photo on your wall. Maybe you do want a giant stone in your yard and you write down what God had said. Maybe it's a journal that you keep and remember. I don't care how it is, but God has a calling on your life. And God wants you to remember and constantly look back and live into what he's called you to be, who he's called you to be. be. May we be people who live and end well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. I thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that we will have ears to hear and hearts that obey. Amen. As I, as I have felt this message, the Spirit told me it's time to have a pastoral moment with our church.
If you're a visitor, this is not for you. This is for our church. I want to share with you a little bit of the stuff that God has been putting on my heart and why I believe that this is a message for us as a church and you as individuals. First, I'm going to start with some history. Before COVID happened, we had roughly 240 people worshiping in our church. It's not about numbers, but it's about energy. At that time, we had a passionate desire to fulfill the mission of proclaiming the gospel, of being a refuge, and restoring broken relationships with God and man. We followed that with passion. People were inviting kids and families to our children's events. People were passionate about telling people about what God is doing in our midst and in our church. We were growing not because there was something special about the preaching or special about the music, but because you as individuals were passionate about what God was doing in our midst and in our church. There was an energy level in the, in the congregation while we sang, a passionate desire to worship the Lord with all that we had. After COVID, there were things that we had to choose. Leaders, myself, we were, week, we were meeting weekly as to how we were to approach the pandemic. And I recognized that there were moments where we didn't get it right. There were moments where I was stubborn and didn't want to move in certain areas. And I repented that. If some of my stubbornness in those times and frustration hindered you in your walk, I apologize. If you were frustrated with our church and the decisions that we were making, I apologize. There was no precedent for what we were walking through. There was no precedent. We prayed. We spent time together as elders and as leaders, and we did what we felt was best and what we felt God was leading us to do. It was a tough season for all of us. I think teachers, government officials, and pastors might have had it the worst because we were making choices that were ticking people off left and right. There was no winning in that situation. Some of the people in our church left because of the decisions and choices that we made. That hurt. We still love them. We still care for them. If they were to choose to come back, we'd love for them to come back. It was a season of, of downcastness. It was difficult. We went online. In the American church, 30% of people who went online only have never come back to church. That's not just our church, that's American church. It became easy to wear pajamas and watch TV. Then it became even easier to wear pajamas and not watch the TV. We right now are in a season of complacency as a church. And I say this in love and tenderness. The energy has seemed to wane. There are several people who are, it's possible for them to come back in person, but remain online. We need community. The thing that COVID ruined for most of us is community. 
kids that went on school, online on school, it hindered their ability to connect. And when schools were reopened, we saw that with all kinds of behavioral issues, things that were just violent, depressed, angry. I own my part in front of you today because I was complacent. Because I was depressed. It was hard. And I repent of that to you. I should have been abiding more. I should have been leading with more energy and more passion. And I wasn't. I wasn't. We can't coast anymore. Too much is at stake. If you were to look at where we're at as a community in Indiana, it's not good. The community is walking through some pain and frustrations in the high school. There's deep racism, deep hate, deep anger. Kids are saying crazy things that you would never expect them to say before COVID. There's things that are happening in our community where hate and division have just ruined our community. And parts of the community are begging the church to step up and make change. I've been called and talked with a few people from our community, leaders in the community, and they said to me this very thing, I'm no longer asking the church to step in, I'm begging the church to step in. What an opportunity. When has the church been begged to step in, to help unify through the name and the love of Jesus Christ an entire community. This is time for us to step in and step up. I urge you like Joshua to serve the Lord. I urge you like Joshua did with the Israelites to serve the Lord. Before COVID also, our volunteerism rate was 70, 30. 30% of people were doing 70% of the work, which is actually a really good volunteer ratio. Now we're at 90, 10. 10% of the people are doing 90% of the work. And our volunteers and our part-time staff are getting burnt out. Part of serving the Lord is using your time, talent, and treasure. And I, I want you to hear me because so many pastors use shame and guilt. And that's not my heart for this. My heart is to just simply share with you where we are. God is calling each and every one of us, one of us to serve the Lord. Each and every one of us has a different way of serving the Lord in this church and in the community. Please say yes to serving the Lord. If you are good with children, they need a lot of help. If we had people who would serve on a monthly rotation, none of our volunteers and none of our staff would get burnt out. If we went back to a 70-30 ratio, we'd be in a really healthy place. And again, hear me, I'm not trying to shame or guilt you. I want you to see the need. 
We have needs in children's ministry. That's where we have the biggest need. But maybe God has called you to something else in the church. I had a conversation with someone today, and we were spitballing some of the things that this person could do with their talents and gifts. I want to have those conversations because God has a place for you. God desires to use you and your gifts. Another thing that I've noticed is in the sense of community, it has become easier to vote with our feet and stay home with certain things. Before COVID, we had like 20 dudes come into our men's ministry. And it was awesome. Now we have five if we're lucky. Our youngest couples, we had maybe 30 or 25 or 26 people because it's couples. <laughs> and now maybe we have five couples. And again, this isn't, I, I want you to understand, this is not me shaming or guilting. I don't want that. Too often that happens, but I've never done this in all the four and a half years I've been your pastor, but I feel like it's important for you to hear where we are. We need community. You need community. I need community. And this isn't about getting more people to come and sit in the pews as nickels and noses. This is about challenging us to be in community and like Joshua, challenge us to serve the Lord. The Spirit has been convicting me of my places of complacency, of coasting. And I would be remiss as a leader if I didn't call it out and just share with you where we are. I thank you for taking these extra moments with me. Know that this comes from a place of love and care and tenderness and passion to see our church be used in the community to bring the lost to Jesus. That's our call as individual believers and as a church. That's why I said last week, I see with faith this, this room filled, not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of people who don't yet know Jesus, that they'll sit in these seats in the coming years. Because I have faith that God will use you. I have faith that God will use me. I have faith that we will put a stone of remembrance today in our church's history and say no more coasting. I have faith. God can use you. Will you let him? At this time, we're going to sing one last song, and then I will give the, the charge and the benediction to us as a church. So please stand. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you can sit, reflect, come forward, ask the Spirit of God to share with you what you need to hear.